Hello, Parkview. Good to see you today. Glad you made the choice to be here. Yeah, that's all right. We can uh, be happy to be here. That's, this is a good place uh, uh, to be. want to welcome everybody all around Chicagoland, all the campuses out in Homer Glen. Hello, Homer Glen, New Lenox. Hello to you folks, everybody around Orland, everybody online uh, who's catching this series online. So glad uh, that you're around here this weekend. We are wrapping up uh, this. Just, it's been a really, really powerful series uh, on who needs God. And we're pulling it all together this weekend, kind of putting a bow on it, and then heading into the Easter uh, season. And I think there's probably a chance that uh, you haven't been here every single week for the last uh, five weeks or so. And so before we dive in and finish this thing up and, and talk about a really important aspect of our faith in God, I want to make sure we're all headed in the same direction kind of singing from the same sheet of music. So I want to give just a quick little recap on some of the things we've studied. Not, not everything, but some of the things uh, that we've studied over the last uh, few weeks. Uh, one of those things would be, why do people reject the idea of God? We tackled that several weeks ago, and we talked about intellectual reasons that people do that, or emotional reasons, or different religious reasons. They were raised this way or this way, and then it clashes and that sort of thing. So if, if you've ever had that kind of question, why do we, people even reject the idea of God, this would be a great message for you to go back and listen to or, or to turn somebody on to. They can go to the Parkview uh, website and do that. We talked about the problem with the Bible or problems with the Bible. Maybe you've thought to yourself sometime, you know, the, the older I get, the more there just seems to be some inconsistencies in, in the Bible or some things I don't understand. There, listen, there's just some things that don't make sense. Uh, this would be a great message for you to go back and check out because I'm not going to share all of them, but we dove in to this whole idea about different problems and issues a lot of times that people have with the Bible. Uh, Pastor Tim talked about how God is great and he's spirit and he's father and he's good and he's love. And, and we kind of came back and just recalibrated to, to who God is in our, in our lives and in our world and, and through history. And, and then just uh, a few weeks ago uh, when I was here, when we had... Uh, 59 inches of snow, <clears throat> which was a great weekend uh, to, to, to be around Chicagoland. Uh, we talked about these different gods uh, who a lot of times we grow up with and we worship, but they don't exist. These are gods that we believe exist and we act as if they exist, but they don't. We talked about on-demand God. You know, it's kind of like you have a remote and God's going to respond to good and noble requests. Of course he is. Why wouldn't he? But that God doesn't exist. We talked about boyfriend, girlfriend God, which is that God, you know, that always should feel close, you know, and special and intimate, and, but, but God doesn't always feel that way. We talked about guilt God that tries to get us to where he wants us to be by just heaping guilt and, and shame and things like that on us, but, but that God doesn't exist either. We talked about bodyguard God. Remember bodyguard God? Bodyguard God is that God that so many of us grew up with. Maybe it was our parents or uh, a pastor or a priest or something like that when we were little that told us that God is good. Which he is. And they told us that God is just all powerful, which he is that as well. But then we also kind of put those together and learned, or they told us that because he's all good and all powerful, he's just going to protect you and nothing bad's going to happen. And God protects good people from bad things. And then what happened with bodyguard God is a lot of us got older and we saw a lot of really, really bad, awful things happen to some really, really, really good people. And we started to ask this question that. Millions and millions and millions of people around the world ask probably every week. And the question is this, how could a good God allow such bad things to happen to good people? I mean, I don't get it. 
And, and, and we know, every single one of us today on, on all campuses all around Chicagoland, every one of us know people, probably people we're close with, who have actually walked away from God. They have left their faith. And here's why. Because they can't reconcile a good and loving God with a God that allows the injustice and pain and suffering of the world. The things that happen around the world, the things that happened in Florida in the shooting a week or two ago, they, they just can't reconcile those things, so they just say, forget it. I'm out. I, I don't think I believe anymore. And, and, and the way we kind of shape this up in our minds, the way we play it out, maybe we've never thought about it this way or when somebody was talking to us, but this is kind of the way we shape up bodyguard God in our mind, which is really prevalent in our world. We say something like this, if he's good, he would. If he's good, he would. I mean, if, he, if he's really good, he would, he would do this or he would do that and that sort of thing. Or if he could, he would. If he's good, if he's really good, he would end all suffering and injustice and pain. Or if he could, if he really could do it, if he was powerful, he would end the injustice and suffering and pain. So here's the thing. He either lacks good or could. He lacks one of those things, good or could. Or the way some people in our world end up sizing this up is that there's just really no God at all. Or at least not the God of the Bible that's, you know, all powerful and all good and that sort of thing. And so what we want to do today as we wrap this thing up is we want to talk about why, it, why would God do this? Why would God allow injustice and pain and suffering to continue in our lives, our family, our own bodies, in our world? And, and we're going to dive into that in just a moment. But before we do, I want to say one other thing just kind of as a preface. If you or somebody you know has ever used the pain of the world or somebody else's pain to build your case for or against God, you got to be really careful with that. Here's what I'm saying. If you've ever hijacked someone else's pain and said, because what's going on with them or what's going on in the world, I just don't think there's a God, you got to be careful because that's an insustainable argument. Here's what, here's what I mean. When you look around at people who are going through suffering and pain, Oftentimes, it's their pain that actually puts them right back on a path to God. So you got to be careful with that. Or if you look around the world, if you've been on a mission trip, I've been on lots of mission trips around the different places in the world, and I've seen people going through all kinds of pain, all kinds of suffering, and yet even in the midst of that pain and suffering and injustice, there's a faith that's unreal in God. You've seen it right here where you live, in Chicagoland, in the United States of America. You, you've seen people who have been experiencing unbelievable suffering or injustice, but yet their faith in God seems to increase. So we have to be very careful using other people's pain or suffering to build our case whether or not God exists or doesn't exist or whether he's real. You have to be very careful with that argument. I love the way Pastor Andy Stanley says it when he's talking about this subject. He says, injustice in the world calls into question the justice of God, not the existence of God, which means it makes more sense to be angry than atheist. I think that's, that's, that's good. I think that's a powerful uh, way to say it. And he, he goes on uh, to say, uh, he goes on to say that it makes perfect sense to be angry with God. It doesn't make any sense to be an atheist based on the pain and suffering in this world. And, and I think, again, I just think that is true. And uh, let's try and put this into just terms that we can live with and take out into our world uh, this week. Let, let me just kind of apply it to my family. So I have two kids, okay? I have Ruby, who's 19 years old, and I have Cole, 
who is 17 years old. We call him Coltrane. And sometimes when I come out here for meetings and to preach and to be a part of the team around here at Parkview, I'll bring one of my kids uh, with me. And so let's just say that this weekend I brought uh, one of my kids, Ruby or Cole, with me. And I'm preaching all weekend long four or five times, and, and they don't really want to be in the service all weekend because, you know, they've heard Dad preach, you know, and stuff like that. And so they don't want to hang around. So they're, whatever campus they're on, they're out in the lobby of the campus, you know, and they're running around and stuff like that. And, and you see one of my kids out in the lobby. And so I'm in here preaching and you start talking to one of my kids and you say, hey, you know, hey, I noticed who you are and it's pretty cool. Your dad up there, he's doing a good job. You really feel like we're wrapping up this series good and thankful for that. And, you know, I just, you start kind of, you know, saying, giving some compliments, things like that. And my kid looks back at you and says, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's probably doing a good job up there. But let me tell you this, my dad um, is actually being kind of a jerk. And because here's what's happening, like when we got on the plane to come here, you know, a, a day and a half or so ago, like I, I must have said something on the plane because the whole rest of the way on the plane, my dad didn't talk to me. He didn't say anything to me. It's like my dad is like, my dad is like in his late 40s and he's acting like a little kid. He just, he didn't talk to me the whole way. I don't know what's going on. That's, and, and you say, wow, really? And, and, and then, you know, you go on to say, when, when, when we got here, my dad promised, you know, we were going to go down in the city. That's part of why I came. We were going to go on an adventure in the city and maybe we were going to go to a record store and try and get some vinyl records. But what happens is we got here and we went to Pastor Tim's house because that's wh- where we stay. And when we got to Pastor Pastor Tim's house, he said, we aren't going anywhere. He said, we're just sitting right here. We're just going to sit right here. We're not going down the city. We're not going to do it. And so, so we've just been sitting around the last day and a half. And you know what else? You know what else about my dad? We haven't even had any food. My dad hasn't ordered any food. So I'm basically starving right now. I haven't eaten for a day and a half. And so I'm wandering around the church trying to find donuts. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm looking for donuts. And hey, listen, listen, if, if, if you started talking to one of my kids and one of my kids said that to you about me, here's the thing. It would, it would cause you to question my goodness, Right? But it would not cause you to question my existence. The fact that you're talking to one of my kids proves that I exist. And so when it comes to God in our lives and what he's doing around the world, can we question his goodness? I think you can question his goodness or be upset and that sort of thing. But to call into question his existence, I think that's a whole other subject. So the big question today is, is why would then God allow it? Why does he allow the injustice and the pain and the suffering in our world? Again, the mental argument is if, if he's good, he would. And if he could, he would. So he probably lacks one of those things. But the all-good, all-powerful God of the Bible basically doesn't exist That's the mental conclusion that a lot of people in our world, in our family, our our workplace, our neighbors, our classmates have come to. But I want you to know there's a problem with that premise. There's a problem with that. And inside that assertion that the world is filled with all kinds of pointless pain, here's the hidden premise. And that is that if, if pain appears pointless to me, then it must be pointless. If it appears pointless to me, then it just it must be pointless. And what I want to say to us today and where I want to try and take us today is this whole idea of just because pain and injustice and suffering doesn't make sense to me or you, that doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't make sense. And that's kind of a hard pill to swallow, but that's where we're going to go in this difficult subject today. And what I'm here to offer you today, Parkview, is not a quick fix on pain you're not going to walk out here today and say, oh, I get it. You know, I get suffering. I, I totally understand injustice now. Never going to have to talk about that again. No. I, I'm here to offer you not a quick fix, but I'm here to offer you an honest look at what the Bible says about pain. 
and suffering. So if you take notes, if you're a person that loves to take notes, I'm telling you, take some notes today. I'm going to share some things with you. If you love to take notes, take notes. If you do not like to take notes, take notes. (laughs) Take notes. You're going to need this, I promise, if you intend to be alive for the next few days or weeks or years. You are going to face these things, or your kids are, or your grandkids are. You're going to need these things. So take notes or take pictures of the screen or whatever you want to do, okay? Here's, Here's the first Here's the first thing on why God uh, would allow this. The suffering and pain can actually get you to where you need to be even faster. I think that's one of the reasons God allows it and uses it. There's, there's this old saying of like 17th century sailors, people who were on the high seas back in several hundred years ago. And they would say something like this, when a storm comes up on the sea, if you will hold on to the wheel, if, if you will keep the rudder of the boat steady, that storm will actually blow you to where you need to be even quicker. That that wind will, will, will sweep you up and fill your sails and get you there if you'll hang on to the wheel and keep it steady. Now, if you, in the middle of a storm, let go of the wheel, if you basically give up on things, then yeah, who knows where you're going to end up. You may end up in a far worse place than you begin because of that storm. And I think it's a similar way that God uses these storms and these pain and these suffering in our lives. Take a look at this verse in the Bible in Proverbs chapter 20. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. So simple, right? But true. Sometimes it's, it's, it's the pain that actually kind of wakes us up and says, Oh man, you need to turn around, you need to... Think about this. You need, you need to pause in, in the direction you're going in with your friendships or your job or your career or your finances or something like that. Or look at the way author Peter Kreft says it. He says the meaning and purpose of suffering in history is that it leads to repentance. And I think that's oftentimes true when you really dig down and see how God's using it. Maybe not always, but a lot of times, historically speaking, in our world and even in our lives, The reason it comes in is because God's trying to get us to turn around. He's he's trying to get us to notice something and do a 180 and and come back closer to him. That's why we're experiencing some different pain or some different suffering in our lives. I love the way this one is so meaningful to me. Jim Cimbala, who's a pastor and author in New York, he says, listen, God is trying to do something more than just give us a smooth life. He's trying to make us like Jesus. He cares more about producing Christ-like character than he does about the American dream. So powerful, isn't it? I think it's true. I think suffering and storms and pain and injustice that we see or experience, what can happen is it can make us change our ways, actually. And it can actually move us and get us to where God wants us to be even quicker. I think that's part of the way he uses it. Here's another thing, if you want to write this down. Suffering and pain allow you to grow stronger. It actually strengthens and deepens you and me as a person. I don't like to hear this. I don't like to talk about it, but it's, I believe it's absolutely true. Look at this section of Scripture in Romans. We also rejoice in our sufferings. Everybody say Rejoice. We rejoice in them. This, we could do a whole series or at least a whole message on just this right here. We, we don't try to sidestep our sufferings. We don't try to eliminate our sufferings. We don't, we, we don't avoid at all costs our sufferings, which is what oftentimes I try to do. 
I try and eliminate them, get around them. No, no, no. It says we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. It does something in us when we go through these things with us and others around us that gives us, ultimately, if we'll let it, it gives us strength and it deepens us. It grows us, whether we want to be grown or not. Uh, Take just a moment and look at this picture. Just take a look at this picture all around Chicagoland, all, of, all campuses, wherever, wherever we are, watching online. Take a look at this picture. It's a mountain range. You can tell that, obviously. Now, let me ask you this. Where is the growth in this picture? Where is the growth happening in this picture? It's down in the valleys, Right? That's where all of the growth is happening. It's all down in the valleys. This is just the way the world works. You know this. You've seen this before. It's not up on the mountaintop. Now, do you and I love mountaintop experiences? Of course we do. Absolutely we love mountaintop experiences. Do we hope for more of those with our friends or family? Absolutely. Do we plan for more? Do we pray for more mountaintop experiences in our lives? Yes, we do. But do we always want to live up on top of the mountain? No. No, ultimately no, because that's not where the growth happens. The growth occurs down in a lot of those valleys of our lives. The greatest growth that you and I experience, you know this to be true, is oftentimes in those tougher points in life, in the valleys of life. And I just believe with all my heart that a big part of the reason God just continues to allow some of the injustice and suffering we see, again, not always, for this exact reason, but a lot of times is so that he can make us stronger and grow us for something else next that he has for us in our lives. If you're writing things down still, hopefully you're taking notes on some of these things because you're going to need them. Suffering and pain allows you to comfort others. It allows us to comfort other people. And, And this one to me, to be honest with you, I really, really, really don't understand it as much as I should, and I don't know that I even always want to understand it, but I believe with all my heart it's absolutely the honest truth. This is a big part of why you and I experience what we experience or see what we see. It's because of this right here that's going to allow us to comfort others. Take a look at this scripture in 1 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians. It would be a great one to maybe write down and, and read later and study with your kids or your grandkids or friends or something like that. It says, all praise to God the Father, our Master, Jesus the Messiah, Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, He brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. There's just something. The bottom line is, and you know this because you've experienced it, but it's hard sometimes to get our minds around. The bottom line is there's just absolutely nothing better when you're going through hard times, when you're going through pain or suffering in your life. There's nothing better than to be able to sit down beside somebody on their back porch or in their car or to sit down beside someone with coffee and have them look across the table at you and say, You know what? I understand. I get it. I was just where you are just a while back, and I just want you to know I I hate it for you, but I understand where you are. 
There's nothing better than that. And it just makes sense, doesn't it? That this is the way God would use us in the body of Christ, his church, to come alongside each other just the way he's come alongside us when we see someone else in need. I mean, think about this. Let's say uh, that you're uh, struggling with some sort of addiction or something like that. Let's say you have some sort of addiction to alcohol or something like that, and you know it, and, and you're trying to work through it, and it's not easy, right? A lot of times when you're trying to work through an addiction like that with alcohol or something like that, really the last person in the world that you really want to go eat with or spend time with is somebody who's never had a drop of alcohol in their lives. I mean, praise God for them, right? Fantastic for them, uh, but, but you want to be around somebody who's been where you are who can look across the table at you and say listen I know how hard this is and I know how it's going to mess you up and it's how it's messing up your your work or maybe your finances and listen I want to tell you something I was right where you are and I made it through and you can make it too that's who you want to set with maybe your relational world is crumbling and your engagement to somebody or your marriage is on the rocks and you're, not, you're fighting. Maybe you're getting ready to be separated or you're maybe even headed toward divorce or that's happened or something like that. A lot of times when you're going through that relationally and engagement and marriage and things like that, the last couple in the world you want to be around is that apparently perfect couple, right? That's the last couple you want to go eat dinner with, right? I mean, they're walking into dinner holding hands, and you get done, and they walk out, and they're holding hands and kissing, and you're like, you know, get a room, you know, that kind of thing. And, and you just, what you want to do is you want to slap them. You, you want to hurt them. I mean, praise God for them, but you want to hurt them because they're like too perfect, right? The one you want to be around is the couple who has been through some stuff, who can look across you and say, you know what, man, we, we have both been right where you are, and it's, it was... So hard. But here's what we did, and here's who we talked to, and here's some of the parameters we set up, and here we are today. And you know what? You can make this. You can make it through this. That's who you want to be around. That's how God uses us, folks. Maybe you're a young family. Maybe you're young parents. Maybe you're a young mom, and you have little kids, and your little kids, let's just, I mean, your little kids are nuts. They're nuts. They're just crazy. And, and they're making you that way. And, 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 and the last person, moms, young moms, the last person you want to be around a lot of times is that mom, you know, with the perfect kids who's, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. You know, they have most of the New Testament probably memorized. And, you know, they're going to be they're three years old and they're probably going to be a pastor. You know, you're looking at them going, oh, they're going to work in the church. And that's, you know, no, you want to be around some moms who have kids that are just, crazy, that are just bouncing off the water. And, and you want to have that mom sit with you and say, okay, 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 I'm like three months ahead of you, and here's what we did, and here's how we're doing it, and I'm just a little ways, and, and you want, listen, these kinds of things in our lives give us the golden opportunity to sit with someone else and say, you know what, I've been there. I've been there, I've been where you are, and you can make it through this. A lot of times, you know what happens so many times in our lives, just see if this isn't true for you. So many times when pain or injustice come into our lives or some kind of suffering comes into our lives, what we oftentimes do is we look back in time. We immediately look back and say, did I do this? When did I start this? Who did this? Did somebody else cause this to happen in my life? How could I have avoided this? Where I am now, you look back in time and try and unravel how you could have avoided this. We look back in time. And I get that, but maybe when we get into pain and suffering in our lives, maybe instead of looking back in time, when we're in the midst of that, maybe what we should begin to do if we can is look forward in time. 
And not spend so much time trying to unravel it because that's almost impossible to do, right? How did this happen? But start looking forward in time and saying, you know what? Because of this junk I'm in now, who am I going to be able to help? Who am I going to be able to come alongside in the next few months or the next few years? Here's what I promise. I promise, I promise, I promise this. It's true. It just is. It's, it's, just, it's just true. I don't, I don't necessarily like it. I, I, I can't even say that I always understand it, but I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it. And if we'll allow it, this is true. He doesn't waste a hurt. And that's hard sometimes when you're in the midst or the middle of it. One of the things that blows my mind about pain and suffering and injustice is, could it be that part of the pain that you're experiencing in your life or your family, part of it, only part of it is for you. Part of what you're experiencing is for someone else that God needs you to come alongside in the next few months or years. Part of that pain is actually not just for you, it's for them, but he's letting it happen to you because he needs you to come alongside someone else. That's crazy. That is crazy. But I think it's, it's, it's very likely true. I think scripture teaches that. I think we've seen that just pretty quickly even today. Here's one other thing about pain and suffering. You're still with me, still writing some things down. Suffering and pain keep your focus on heaven. They kind of keep our focus where it needs to be. And, and I don't want to diminish anybody today around Chicagoland. I don't want to diminish anybody's you know, pain and, and, and suffering. But I'll tell you this, I promise, it helps to take a long-term perspective. It really does. If you're in the middle of it right now, it helps to keep a long-term perspective on injustice and pain and suffering. L let me describe it uh, like this. Let me just kind of play this out into our world. Go with me here for just a couple of minutes. Let's just say at the very beginning of this year, 2018, the first day of the year was just a terrible day. I mean, awful. You wake up late for work. You, you get out the door. You got some coffee, but you look at your shoes. You got on two different shoes or socks. It's going to be embarrassing. You're going to, you know, it's like, what am I doing? But you got to get, you got to, get to work. And, and so you're, you take a drink of coffee in your car, and, and you spill some coffee on your shirt, and you know you got a meeting coming up at like 9 o'clock, and so you, you're grabbing something. You're trying to clean off your shirt, and, and as you look up, there's a car right in front of you, and you slam on the brakes, but you hit that car. The airbag goes off in there, and you're thinking, oh, this is great. I'm not, I'm, I've been work, late for work several times in the past few months. This is going to be it, and, and so you're probably not going to make it to work, and so you finally get things done there at the wreck, and you go home, and you, know, you have, already have a voicemail on your answer machine. This is all in the first day. You, you have a voicemail answer machine that your boss says, you know, you're done. Forget it. You, know, you haven't been here. I don't know where you're at. And, and so you come in, and you kind of call out for your dog or something like that, or you expect your cat you know, to come up against your leg, and, and you don't even see them. You're guessing my dog must have run away. I don't know where my dog is. Must, and, and you look out in the backyard and you see your cat and your cat's rolled over. And it's, 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 the cat's not moving. So you figure your dog's run away and your cat's not moving. And, and at, least, at least one of those things is bad. And, and so, you know, it's just a bad day, right? You're having a bad day. And so you're, you're going out to check on your, uh, on your cat in, in the backyard. And, and, and when you do, your, your mouth like starts to hurt. Your jaw starts to hurt and you... It's like you feel like one of your teeth, and so you, you turn around, you go back inside, and you call the dentist, and they say, get in here quick, and, and you go to the dentist, and they say, oh, you got problems, and they put you in a chair, and you know, they start getting out all the power tools, and, and they, you get a root canal, and you're, for, for all the way into the evening, you're sitting in there getting a root canal, and that's, that's the first day. The first day is terrible, the first day of the year, but then here's what happens. 
the next day, and the rest of the year just gets better. On the second day of the year, you wake up in the morning, and your friend who you've had for 15 years or so gives you a call. This is a great friend you've known for a long time. They play the lottery every single week. And guess what? At the very beginning of the year, they win like the $300 million Powerball. And just because you're friends for so long, they're, they say, I'm giving you $10 million. It's coming in cash. And just, it just soon, you're going to get $10 million. And so you're thinking, this things are turning around. So you go ahead and call your boss back and say, hello, guess what? I don't need you. So I'm like pretty free now. And, and so you're kind of walking around the house that day, figuring out what you're going to do. And guess what? Your dog comes home. Even your dog comes home, your dog's back. And, and then you look out in the backyard and your cat has flipped up. So it's all good. Your, your, cat, your cat flipped up and your, your, your cat's alive and that sort of thing. And, and, and maybe you have a great vacation or maybe you build a new home later on that year. You have your first kid or your second kid or your third kid. And it's just blissful and, and it's great. In fact, you start doing a whole lot of things around your city in Chicagoland with the money because you have all this new money now. And you start doing all these benevolent things. And so by the time we get to the end of the year, the Chicago Tribune ha- has put your picture on the front cover. And it says, person of the year person of the year. That, that's, what, that's what the rest of the year is like. And then let's just say this. Let's say that you go to a New Year's Eve party at the very last night of the year. You're at this New Year's Eve party and one of your friends comes up and says to you, so how's the, how's the year been? How, how's your year? Man, if, if somebody said that to you, you would instinctively respond by saying, it's been amazing. It's been unbelievable. Let me tell you about this. I'm person of the year and all this kind of stuff. And I got a new kid and a new home and all that. And, and they may say, well, but didn't, I was thinking back, didn't you lose your job? Didn't it start out bad? Didn't you have the whole, you know? And you would say, you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually true. That's actually true. It did start out pretty bad. But when you look at the whole thing, the 364 amazing, incredible days definitely outweigh that one really, really bad day. And some of you know where I'm going with this. I really think it'll be that way in heaven. I really do. One day, and that again is not to diminish any of your pain here on this earth or any of the injustice that we experience or any of the suffering. It may go on for all of your days on this earth, but I really do believe that in heaven, after 5,446,248 absolutely perfect days with an infinite more to come, if somebody were to come up to you in heaven and say, So, how's your existence been? You would respond by saying, It's unbelievable. Look at this. Look at where I'm at. Look what I'm experiencing. Look at everything to come. This is nuts, isn't it? And they may say to you, but didn't it start out bad before you got up here? Didn't you have some problems on earth? I heard about that. I actually saw part of that. And you might say, you know what I did? You're right. It was terrible. It it was awful. But when I put that into perspective with all of this, with all of this yet to come, it's hardly even worth mentioning. Parkview, listen I think a big part of the, the purpose of, of suffering or injustice or pain in our lives, a big part of it is just to remind us that this is not our home. It's not our home. And God is building us and building you a, a great and perfect place because he loves you. He loves me so much. And maybe you're thinking, Todd, you know, that's great. And that that story and that analogy, I think that's, man, that really helps. And that's true. But Todd, if God really does love me, if God is so loving and and God is so good and God is so powerful, like we study all the time and like I was taught, why doesn't he end it? Why just, I don't get it. I still am not sure I get it. Why doesn't he end suffering and pain if he's so good and that sort of thing? Maybe you've asked that before. You've had other people ask that before. I don't see why he doesn't just end the injustice. And the answer to that question for you and for everyone else is simply this. He's going to. 
He is going to. Scripture is clear. The Bible is clear that one day God will end all injustice and suffering and pain. So that thing we keep asking for, that thing that we want, he's going to do that. In fact, if you get to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And there's going to be no more uh, crying and there's going to be no more tears and there's going to be no more pain and there's going to be no more suffering and and that sort of thing. And, and, And maybe, again, you're kind of saying in your head, well, then why doesn't he just do it? I don't understand what he's waiting for, what's holding him up. And maybe you're thinking, Todd, you know, our world... It's, it's kind of like our world is going to hell in a handbasket. What's he waiting for? And I'll tell you what he's waiting for. I can answer that question. You, I don't know if you want to know the answer, but it's true. What's holding God up? What's he waiting for? I'll tell you what he's waiting for. If you really want to know, he, if your friends really want to know, it, he's waiting for some of you. He's waiting for some of you. That's what's holding him up. Take a look at this scripture in 2 Peter. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Could it be that God is actually delaying the day that he ends suffering and pain and injustice. He's delaying the day so that some of you, some of your friends, some of your kids can actually come to repentance through that pain, can come back to trust him, accept Jesus into their life, and spend eternity with him in heaven. Could he be using suffering and pain and injustice to get our attention and to bring us back to him? Could there be a purpose even when when you and me, even when we don't see it? Could he be drawing people back to him oftentimes through it? I love, again, let's look one more time at that quote by Jim Symbol. It's just so good. He says, here's what he says. He says, God, here's what we got to understand from, from a different perspective, not from our perspective, but God is trying to do something more. He's trying to do something more in you than just give you a smooth life. Is he against that? I don't know that he's necessarily against it, but he's trying to do something more. He's trying to make us like Jesus. He cares more about producing Christ-like character in us than he does just about the American dream and everything being smooth. He's trying to get us where he needs us to be, you and me. And so sometimes he uses these things that we don't understand in our world and I think it's a good lesson. I love this series that we've been in because who needs God? It's allowed us to just kind of blow out the walls on God and look at who he really is and who he really isn't and how he uses things. And I'm I'm so glad you've been here for this series and even this weekend as we wrap it up because I think it just expands our view of God and who he really is and getting us to where he needs us to be. And, 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 And on that notion of being where we need to be as we wrap up this series this weekend, this series leads us right into a series next week called At the Cross. And man, as we talk about who God is, it's a perfect time for the next three weeks or so to lead right up to Easter. And what Pastor Tim and I are going to do the next few weeks is we're going to just stand at the cross and we're going to look at the different people and characters and events of the cross. And we're going to realize that it's actually the pain and the suffering of Jesus that changes our eternal zip code. Amen? That's how it all started. So God uses that. 
for a good, good thing. There's all these cards on all of our campuses. There's these little cards that say, come alive. This is our Easter service that's actually going to happen. The At the Cross series leads us up to come alive. And I'm going to encourage you today as we wind down this series and start into a brand new important series for you to grab one or two or ten of these and give them to your friends and your neighbors and your classmates and, and your coworkers. Because listen, one, one last thing we're going to pray here. During the Easter season... You know this, every year during the Easter season is when people who have gotten a little upset and a little sideways with God and don't understand God, they, they get invited, and you can invite them to one of 20 services and say, I'll set with you, just pick a service, and they come back in here, and all of a sudden they see who God really is and what he did, and God starts to draw them back. And it changes their eternity. And you and I can be part of this. We understand better than ever, I think, who God is. But now let's use this knowledge that we have to invite people to meet his son Jesus at the cross. Amen? Let's pray together. God, thanks for today. Thanks for the opportunity to study. And, and a lot of these subjects that we've talked about, God, you, you know they, they mess us up. They confuse us and, and they cause us to get angry with other people or they cause us to doubt what we even think or believe and all those sorts of things. But God, I thank you for the time we can carve out for a series like this, Who Needs God? Because the bottom line is, God, we need you. We need you in our lives. Every single day we need you. And we just declare that and we believe that. And God, we trust you. We trust you and we thank you for your goodness. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.